Today on Blue 58, not that it mattered, but the Packers couldn't get it done against the Detroit Lions in Week 18. And now, on the cusp of the playoffs, we have a moment to stop and look to the future, both short and long term. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Look, Week 18 wasn't all that exciting. It was weird, it was different, but it was not all that exciting because we knew that no matter what happened, the Packers were going to have the one seed in the NFC playoffs and all that they had to do was get out of the game healthy. That was accomplished. So other than that, all we've got to do is look to basically some shorthand, long-term future stuff. But before we do that, we actually do have something very exciting to talk about. A very generous Blue 58 listener who wishes to remain anonymous wants to send you to the Packers divisional round playoff game. Inspired by our recent year-end charity drive, this listener has offered four tickets, two pairs, um, four pair or four tickets total to the Packers divisional round playoff game two weeks from today or yesterday when you happen to be listening. You have a chance to receive these tickets, and all you have to do is donate to Aaron Jones Charitable Foundation. A link to the instructions is available in your show notes, but this is going to be a relatively short charity drive. So You've got to do a donation between now and the end of Friday. Just want to give you enough time to make plans should you happen to win these tickets. So we're going to, we're going to be fast and furious here. Uh, get your donations in by the end of the day on Friday. That's midnight, Friday night. And you will have a chance to win these, these tickets, a pair of these tickets. Uh, there is no minimum donation required. We're just recognizing you if you do choose to donate. But I'm suggesting a minimum donation of 10 bucks. That seems fair for uh, what amounts to a chance to to win some of these tickets. Uh, we would love to recognize this charitable donation in the biggest possible way. Uh, so we're going to do everything we can over the next few days um, to collect donations for uh, for Aaron Jones Foundation. We're very thankful to our Blue 58 friend uh, for choosing to do this, and I wish everybody the best of luck who chooses to donate. Obviously, this is probably going to be limited to people in the United States, but if you are an international listener, and I know we have a lot of them, and you want to donate to this foundation, and you happen to win, and you want to make a week of it, by all means, that's up to you, I suppose. Um, but this is going to be going on this week. I'm going to be mentioning it a lot today uh, on the Wednesday pod and on the Friday pod, just to, so we get as many chances for people to donate as possible. Sound good? Good. Let's talk about Week 18. Look, it wasn't great. Uh, The Packers come out and lose to the Detroit Lions, and they lose despite leading in the fourth quarter and having a chance, two chances really, to put the game away. Big problems, right? Well, I guess not really. If you want to be super disappointed in anything, I think you have to be a little bit disappointed with the defensive effort. They look like a team that knew that this game didn't really count for anything. And They've got a point, honestly, but you'd like to see a little bit more, I guess, pride is what it comes down to out there. On the grand scheme, though, um, they're dealing with some significant holes on defense. No Devondre Campbell out there today, no Jair Alexander, obviously, and other guys shuffling in and out of the out of the lineup in a way that would probably not happen if this was a normal regular season game or a playoff game, but still a little bit concerning. 
I think, though, we've got three big things to talk about. We've got to talk about Jordan Love, first and foremost. That's going to be the, the topic on everybody's mind. We've got to talk about uh, the Packers' offensive line situation. And then I want to talk about a couple of guys who I thought showed up in this game in a way that is interesting for the future. So Jordan Love gets a half, just about a half of play, you know, technically a little bit more than that because he was in for the kneel downs at the end of the first half. But overall, I would say not great was not something that's really going to change a lot of minds. If you are already inclined to say that Jordan Love is not going to be the answer for the Packers, I kind of have the feeling that this game gave you a lot of stuff that you're going to want to talk about. If you do want to give Jordan Love the benefit of the, bo- uh, benefit of the doubt in every possible way, I think you've got some strong arguments from this game too. What I would like to talk about, I guess to start here, is this idea that we can't judge Jordan Love as of right now. And I am sympathetic to that idea. I I think that he has come in in some suboptimal situations. But there's a pretty big but here for me, too. Yeah, I'm sympathetic to the idea that you can't judge Jordan Love on the playtime that he's got. But let's talk about that playtime that he's gotten. He's had two preseason games. Recalling all the way back to last summer, he started the first the Packers' first preseason game, played 28 snaps, a little bit more than half. Sure, not a lot of starters out there. Had Devin Funchess, uh, had a pretty healthy offensive line. He was out there. He's injured in the first preseason game, so he misses number two, but he's back for number three, plays 38 snaps, 63 total. Again, he's not playing with exactly a murderer's row, but he's out there. He got significant mop-up duty in week one, at least one noteworthy drive. He got a start versus the Chiefs this year, and then he played an entire half this week against an objectively bad team. I guess my question to the people who say you can't judge after that amount of playing time, if you're not going to judge now, when? When do we start to get to make judgments on Jordan Love? Because... Jordan Love should be showing significant improvement by now. He was, I think by all admissions, a bit of a project when the Packers took him at the end of the first round in 2020. There's a reason that he went late in the first round. People can talk about how there were some mock drafts that had him as a top 10 pick. That is true. There were some that had him as a top 10 pick. But you know where he ended up going? The end of the first round. And most people, even if there were a few that saw him as a top 10 pick or a potential top 10 talent, most people projected him as a late first, early second round pick. Why is that? It's because for all the arm talent, for all the tools that he has, he's inconsistent, poor accuracy, poor decisions under pressure. And I think, at least for my money, it's fair in week 18 of his second year in the NFL to start looking for some improvement from where that guy was when he was drafted. That seems fair to me. But if not now, when? When do you start to get to make those evaluative calls? When? It's a totally rhetorical question because this is a one-man podcast, obviously. But if not now, when do you start judging Jordan Love? I think it's totally fair to judge him now. That's a pretty good body of work. Two preseason games where you're playing more than half the snaps. A start 
and a half of football against an objectively bad team. You should be able to get a pretty good impression of where the guy is by now. Let's look at the arguments then. Say you were going to judge him right now. If you're on the pro-love side, I think you try to absolve him a little bit first and foremost. You say he's not playing with stars, and that's true. A lot of the people he was throwing to today, a lot of the people who are just out there today, are not among the high-end players for the Packers. Just look, for instance, at Amari Rogers. The Packers were using him today kind of like he was the seventh wide receiver in a preseason game in a situation where the team only knows they're keeping five. They're just like, yeah, do whatever you want. Uh, run around, you know, we'll put you in odd formations and things like that. It doesn't really matter because we're just out here. We got to have somebody fill up snaps just so we can get through this third preseason game and get on to final roster cuts, whatever. So Jordan Love is not getting a ton of support out there. The Amari Rogers pick is, I, I say it's the Amari Rogers pick, not the draft pick. The, the interception that I think is mostly on the shoulders of Amari Rogers is perfect evidence there. You can also say, if you're inclined to argue in favor of Jordan Love, that his turnovers, both today and against the Chiefs and in week one when he fumbled, are pretty explainable. Uh, week one, he's you know coming in on, on short notice. The Packers are, are already reeling. Nobody's really playing well. It's hard to step in and get in any kind of rhythm. So, you know, the random sack in an unfamiliar game situation, no rhythm, that's that's explainable. The Chiefs game, trying to make a play, under pressure, just throwing it up, trying to make something happen. Sure. Today, you've got Amari Rodgers bobbling a ball right into somebody's hands. Uh, and again, love under pressure, uh, throwing under duress, and just missing Equinemia St. Brown late. I don't 100% agree, but I think you could make the case there. You can also argue that his arm talent is still evident, and I think that is fair. You watch some of the things that Jordan Love does on the field, and you can see that he you know, has a reasonable amount of talent in that arm. Sometimes when he's throwing even just a quick out route, that ball is just humming, and he throws, when he really rips into it, he throws a tight spiral. It looks good. It, it's, it's hard to argue. Some of that stuff really does look good. But on the anti-love side of things, I think you've got to argue relatively fairly that he hasn't improved that much over all the stuff that was um, said about him coming out of college. You you talk about his accuracy. It still looks pretty bad, and a lot of that stems from his feet. Uh, the feet are inconsistent. Matt LaFleur talked about that being the most important thing for him, looking at quarterback play uh, pre-se- or not preseason prior to this game. Love's feet are bad. Um, There are some exculpatory factors in the the second interception that he had today. But if you look at his feet position when he was throwing the ball, his feet are basically parallel to the line of scrimmage. I don't care if you're under pressure. That's not ideal. And it's going to be hard to throw an accurate ball even if you're not under pressure in that situation. To that point, the turnovers are still happening. Aaron Rodgers plays under pressure. A lot of NFL quarterbacks play under pressure, but they don't have a turnover per snap ratio quite as high as Jordan Love. Let's not forget, he also was strip-sacked today. The Lions just didn't have the good fortune to recover because Jordan Love happened to be right there on the spot to recover his own fumble. Finally, I think you've got to be a little bit concerned with how Matt LaFleur is using Jordan Love in these kinds of situations. It is a vote of confidence from the Chiefs game that he came out with love and basically asked him to run the 
the Aaron Rodgers offense. But still, today, adjusting for the game situation, it seemed like the training wheels were on in a big way. Even in what could have been the game-winning drive for Jordan Love today, most of the work was done by Josiah DeGuara on the big, long catch-and-run um, that resulted in a touchdown. Spectacular play, by the way. That was a lot of fun. Uh, cool to see DeGuara just chugging down the field. Uh, really have gotten a glimpse of what he is uh, what is he is capable of doing over these last few games, and it's uh, exciting to to think about the future with him. It's concerning that we didn't really see any of the the showcase type pieces for Love in this game that we kind of talked about. No real deep shots, nothing that really said, "Okay, this is what the Packers see in Love." They're turning him loose a little bit. We really have not gotten that from Love in any of the the playing time that we've seen. The Packers have really been hesitant to turn him loose. So overall, yeah, the wide receivers didn't uh, help. Yeah, Royce Newman being back in the lineup didn't help Love at all. But Matt LaFleur is still keeping the training wheels on, and you still have to wonder how far Love has to go and what that says about what the Packers might need to do in the future at quarterback. Second big topic today is uh, David Bakhtiari and Josh Myers returning to the lineup. Obviously, excellent news. Uh, Bakhtiari being out there, um, he looked really good. Uh, Josh Myers stepping right in at, st- at the starting center job is real good. But I think the real story, other than those guys being back in the lineup, is that we may have gotten a bit of a glimpse at the Packers' preferred offensive line for the playoffs. Left tackle David Bakhtiari, left guard John Runyon Jr., center Josh Myers, right guard Lucas Patrick, and right tackle Dennis Kelly. I think there's a lot of pros there. First and foremost, you're bigger. Uh, I had forgotten how much bigger than Lucas Patrick Josh Myers was, and we saw them standing next to each other, well, for a lot of the game because they were playing together. Center and right guard tend to line up next to each other. But Myers is just a big dude, Uh, and I think that has been one of the, the downsides to having Lucas Patrick out there, and we saw that when he got a little nicked up towards the middle of last season, if he was at any, or toward, yeah, the middle of last season, if he was at anything other than a hundred percent last year, he got pushed around a lot because he's not the biggest offensive lineman in the world. Myers is, he's a big guy, big for a center. Um, and having additional girth up front is never a bad thing. Myers gives the, the Packers a little bit more, more muscle up front. And I think that's, that's a good thing for them heading into the playoffs. So they're going to face some premium defensive lines, um, in the relatively near future. It also gives you flexibility on the right side, having this lineup configured the way it is. The Packers showed no hesitance, hesitancy getting Myers back in at center, which gives them options at both right guard and right tackle. Right guard, now you can go Lucas Patrick or Billy Turner if you want, or even Royce Newman if you're inclined to do that for whatever reason. Or at right tackle, you can go Dennis Kelly or Billy Turner again. So it just depends what you want. Do you want Lucas Patrick at guard and Turner at tackle, or do you want Turner at guard and Kelly at tackle? Options. Great thing to have, and now the Packers have them on the on the right side. There are some cons, though, here, and this is more hypothetical, theoretical, but I wonder about the continuity on the offensive line. Now, the Packers have had all kinds of success up front, moving people in and out of the lineup, moving them to different spots, what have you, but we're moving parts here pretty late in the game, And I wonder about the possibility of going with an entirely new configuration in the playoffs. That makes me a little bit nervous, even even recognizing that they've had some tremendous success moving guys around all this year. The big question then comes down to Billy Turner. 
if left tackle is solid, if left guard is solid, if center is solid, if failing all else you have Lucas Patrick at right guard, what do you do with Billy Turner? If he's healthy, do you start him? I'm inclined to say yes, uh, either at right guard or right tackle. But I'm not 100% on that. Do you ride the hot hand if Billy Turner is less than 100%? And if Billy Turner is less than 100%, where is the point of overlap between, say, Dennis Kelly and Billy Turner? Is Dennis Kelly as good as Billy Turner at 70%, 80%, Where do you draw the line and say, okay, we're going to go with Dennis here? Uh, depending on how healthy Billy Turner is. Because we all know the playoffs are different. You make your decisions differently in the playoffs. I know for a fact that if it was a playoff game today, Aaron Jones would have been out there, and I'm sure Devondre Campbell would have been out there as well. But in the playoffs, obviously the stakes are higher. And what do you do if Billy Turner is less than 100%? I don't know. I don't have the answer. Same kind of question. Where is Billy Turner relative to Lucas Patrick? I think you make the decision on the outside first, Turner versus Kelly. But even if Turner isn't better than Kelly, is he better than Lucas Patrick at guard? Where is the cutoff line there? I don't know. Uh, that's a difficult question to ask, but I think um, a difficult question to answer, but I think there are upsides to getting Billy Turner out there. I think even at a diminished capacity, he's probably a better, I know he's a better athlete than Lucas Patrick or Dennis Kelly. That's, that's basically his entire game. He's a, he's a good athlete out in space and it helps some of the Packers zone runs to the outside. But how do you balance the potential of diminished athleticism versus just overall quality? I, I don't know. It's, it's a tricky, tricky question to answer. And uh, I'm glad I don't have to answer it or figure out a solution, especially uh, given some of the pass rush groups the Packers could be facing in the playoffs. Looking further to the future, today's game also gave us a, a good glimpse at a few guys that I think we can conservatively refer to as next year guys, guys that aren't really going to have a big impact this year anymore, given where we're headed into the playoffs, at least I hope not, but uh, who could have a chance to make some noise next year. Three guys I want to talk about. We've talked about Tyler Davis a lot. I almost had him on this list. I figure why belabor the point at this point. Everybody knows I like Tyler Davis, and I think he's going to have a, a potential big role for the Packers next year and potentially down the line uh, even more. Uh, but there's one good guy, one guy who I think was kind of bad today, and one guy I'm not sure about. The first guy, the good guy, is uh, Patrick Taylor. We've been on the Patrick Taylor bandwagon for quite some time now, and it was nice to see it finally paying off. Getting his first career touchdown today, love to see stuff like that. But just running hard, uh, showing some explosiveness, showing a little wiggle in the hole, just uh, good stuff from Patrick Taylor uh, today. Uh, on top of that, he's doing it, pulling some of the toughest duty you've got in in the NFL, I think. Um, he was running for the Packers in a situation where the other team knew that they were trying to run clock, basically. And they had a chance to just load up and come after Patrick Taylor. He did a lot of that last week, too. And still ends up carrying uh, 53 yards on 11 carries. Solid, solid, solid stuff uh, from Patrick Taylor. And again, he gets his, his first career touchdown and, with a long of 12, an explosive play to boot. I want to see more of him in the passing game, uh, but I think, shoot, he's well on his way. And the Packers are going to have opportunities in the backfield next year, too, um, especially given that Kylan Hill is coming off a torn ACL. So, Taylor, good. 
a good addition to the Packers' backfield. On the negative side of things, I do not know what you do with Amari Rodgers, short of saying what you do with Amari Rodgers is you don't let him anywhere near the field in the playoffs if you absolutely have any other option. So we talked a while back about trying to fix the Packers' punt return situation, and I said um, if Randall Cobb is back for the playoffs, um, don't waste him on special teams. He's going to probably be on a pitch count. Uh, and if he's only got, you know, say 20 snaps for the playoffs, don't waste him having him return punts. I am completely off of that now. I want all the options on the table other than Amari Rodgers. If it's Randall Cobb, if it's David Moore, if it's Chandon Sullivan, if it's Tremont Williams back from retirement, just go back there and fair catch the ball, whatever. I don't know. I don't want Amari Rodgers out there. On offense, again, another setback for for Rodgers. It doesn't seem like he has a role. I remember saying way back in like week four, yeah, it looks like Amari Rodgers has a role on this offense. Nope, that was then. This is now. No role for Amari Rodgers in this offense and and made worse by the fact that he gifts a turnover to the Detroit Lions. Tough situation, to be fair. Tipped ball, uh, trying to make a play, but ends up making the worst possible kind of play. Uh, Finally, I don't really know what you do with this guy, but I think he's worth mentioning here. Tipa Nalii, a big, rangy, athletic edge rusher, and that is the sort of thing that you just can't ignore. It seems like every week he makes a play where you kind of sit up and, and take notice of the big gangly number 40 out there on the field. He's doing something. He's around the ball. He's in the backfield. He's making a play out in the flat. He's doing something. But you know, just as often, he's getting washed out in the run, stuff like that. Um, obviously really, really skinny, needs to put on some weight, but I keep seeing him pop up enough that I can't ignore him. And I think that is an interesting situation to be in heading into an off season where the Packers don't have a lot of known commodities on the edge. I think right now the Packers would rather have just about anybody else ahead of him, but still he's showing up often enough that I don't think he can be discounted entirely. He's a guy I'm going to have, I guess, bookmarked heading into next season just to see what happens because the Packers don't really have another prospect quite like him. His combination of length and athleticism, I think, is is rare enough to, to justify a continued long look. Just my thoughts as we think towards next year in a situation where a lot of these guys are going to be getting buried here for the next three weeks, three, four weeks, you hope. Um, in the meantime, we are about ready for real football. It's been a long tease for the end game now for a while. We are now in the end game for real. This is it. This is what the Packers have been building for for a long time now, trying to get everybody back for these games, trying to get people healthy, get all their ducks in a row for these playoff games. Now we're here. We get to sit back and watch what happens next weekend, but then it's on, and the Packers' real march to the Super Bowl starts now. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second, check out the link in your show notes, and donate to the ANA All the Way Foundation, Aaron Jones uh, and his brother Alvin's Charity Foundation. Get your name into this charity drawing. We'd love to have you involved. I would appreciate it a lot, and I hope that we get to send you to Lambeau Field for the playoffs. Really, really exciting stuff, and I'm excited that we get to enjoy it together, no matter what happens. In the meantime, I hope you get everybody you can to listen to this show, uh, share it, 
Talk about it together. Get everybody you can involved in this conversation we're having about the Green Bay Packers because that's ultimately what's going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.